Hello, everyone, and welcome to our panel podcast entitled Fundamental Disconnect. It is the 11th of August, and despite the holiday season, we have a good-sized panel today, and they are Sheldon MacDonald, Nathan Sweeney, Niall MacDonald, Mayank Markende, Jen Corston, Alex Byrne, and Asim Kadri. Panel, it has been dubbed the everything rally, as equities, bonds, and commodities have all risen sharply from the lows of March. But within these asset classes, there are some stellar outperformers and some notable laggards. Our discussion today aims to discover whether it's the winners or the losers that might have lost touch with the fundamentals. Sheldon, if you could set the framework of our discussion, what are the fundamentals that we're dealing with here? Hello, Lorna. Thanks. Uh, well, on the equity side, when we're speaking about fundamentals, we focus really on earnings and valuations. Now, clearly, we've seen a massive reduction in earnings expectations for this year. But the eternal question in equity pricing is, is whether those equity prices have done enough to reflect the change in the circumstances that we've seen. On the bond side, uh, when we think about fundamentals, we're looking at the bond yield that you're getting as an investor relative to the economic growth and inflation prospects along with the creditworthiness of the issuer of a bond. So the risk of a default and the price that you're being paid to take that risk. Again, is that taking into account uh, the changed circumstances? Many companies will be struggling in the current environment, but against this, we've got the government support programs in place uh, to limit the, the risk of bankruptcy. And then finally, in the commodity space, we think really about the balance of supply and demand. And clearly, in commodities this year, we've seen some, some very different fortunes in different areas. Yes, and which asset classes have been the standout winners and losers? Well, clearly the recovery has all been about risky assets rebounding, uh, anticipating the, the future growth prospects after the big drawdown. So high yield bonds and emerging market debts, they've rallied pretty well, but equities in particular um, have been the standout performer. But then again, within equities, we've got some differences there. So quality and growth stocks, we've been speaking about those for a couple of weeks and months now especially IT stocks have really been the standout performers with value stocks, in particular financials and especially energy, mining and material stocks lagging well behind. On the bond side, uh, which bonds really protected us in the drawdown, but they haven't really given up those gains uh, as we've had the recovery on equity prices. And in some cases, bonds have also rallied further and that we would normally associate with a weakening growth picture. And then on the commodity side, uh, again, a mixed picture, uh, we've got the oil price falling victim to a massive reduction in demand with a limited supply side reaction. Uh, but on the other hand, gold is performing very well. So what messages then could we glean from these performances? Well, it seems that equity investors really are focusing more on the prospects for the individual companies and hence the dispersion in the rebound for the, the winners and the losers. Some companies clearly very well placed to benefit from the new environment we find ourselves in and others struggling really to remain relevant. Gold, which has historically been seen as a good inflation hedge, is doing very well, trading close to record highs. But bonds are also performing well and clearly not pricing in much risk of inflation rising. So a little bit of a disconnect there. Bond pricing really seems to be more about the overall economic prospects, which are at best uncertain. So lower for longer was the mantra after the global financial crisis a decade ago. It seems now that we're in an even lower for even longer situation. That's very useful. Thank you. And there are indeed some conflicting messages coming through there. Nathan, the US equity market possibly demonstrates this disparity in returns better than any. 
Uh, yes, Lorna. So I think everybody's aware that technology companies have been, you know, a big standout performer this year. And, you know, if you think about the U.S., the reason it's benefited is because it has a huge uh, technology sector when you compare it to, say, other regions. Um, so if we look at the NASDAQ as an example, uh, the NASDAQ is up close to 30% this year. And this is in contrast to the FTSE, which is actually down 20%. And if we think about the FTSE, uh, you can think about sectors like oil and gas and mining exposure. And obviously, these sectors have been hit hard as a result of COVID, uh, which kind of gives you the rationale between the performance differences uh, between the two. So in your view, which of these sector performances is the most closely connected to fundamentals? Uh, ironically, I would actually have to say technology companies are some of the FANG stocks. And the reason I say this is because they've actually delivered robust earnings. Uh, and, you know, this is despite the fact that a lot of people are concerned about FANG stocks and their very strong performance. But if we think about tech specifically, you know, tech is expected to benefit from supporting uh, working online or working from home. Uh, it's also expected to benefit from the acceleration in the structural shift to all things online. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are very familiar with they're probably buying a lot more things online these days. Uh, as you know, people don't want to take the risk of, you know, shopping on the high streets. And that's a clear example. Um, but I think, Lorna, it's also very important to remember that the market is always pricing in the environment six months from now. So it's not looking at, you know, fundamentals today. It's looking at what fundamentals will be in six months time. So if we look at some of the fundamental data today, yes, it looks expensive, but it looks expensive because earnings have completely collapsed. And what we do know is that the probability of a vaccine being fast-tracked and approved by the end of this year is actually very high. And if that were to happen, uh, you're likely to have you know, a vaccine in circulation in the first half of next year, which means that the profitability for a whole range of companies would normalize and therefore the fundamentals would change. So these companies that look expensive today would suddenly look you know, at similar levels to, say, the beginning of the year. Um, so I think that's very important for people to bear in mind uh, when looking at fundamentals today. Okay, well, Sheldon, I think you had something to add there. Yes, uh, thanks, Lorna. Well, while Nathan paints a pretty positive picture, uh, we do clearly have some healthy debate within the team, and I guess I'm on the other side of the fence. And for me, really, the overarching question is how we can justify being at record highs and such strong growth, especially in certain sectors, when there's still just so much uncertainty around. So I mean, pandemic aside and the prospects for a vaccine aside, we've also got the election this year. We've got the escalation in the US-China tensions. And also, while overall equity index performance might make sense when you focus on the makeup of those indices, the, the narrowness of the market, the fact that so few stocks are responsible for the index rise is also a concern for me. Lauren, I think, you know, to one point uh, to, to make there is um, clearly that the uh, unprecedented stimulus that we've had has been, you know, a big driver of markets. Um, and, you know, the reality, I think, from a U.S. perspective uh, specifically is that uh, we're not done with regard to fiscal stimulus um, and we're likely to see a big package rolled out quite soon. So we actually have Congress are debating uh, an additional stimulus, stimulus package, uh, which looks like it could be in the in the region of say 1.5 uh, trillion, uh, which is very supportive for markets. And you know this is really one of the reasons why the markets, uh, you know, kind of have performed in the way that they have because stimulus has just been so fast and rapid. 
Yes, thank you both. And, and a market is, of course, always made up of different opinions. So it's interesting to hear both of your reflections there. Alex, Europe has been really the global laggard. Is this, do you think, a true reflection of the fundamental prospects there? Sure. So I'd, I'd argue that it hasn't necessarily been a global ladder. This performance is a bit more median if you look at it over the entire term. Um, it was more in line with the global peers on the downside, but the thing it's lagged has been the recovery and especially more recently in July. So in April, we didn't have the the cyclical outperformance, the outperformance by those levered higher risk companies that we did elsewhere, especially in the US. We also didn't get that strong uh, boost from the consumer discretionary sector and the IT sector. That's what's lacked. So you can see where the, the dispersions come within the market. With July specifically, it's been a case more of real estate uh, and again, that lack of IT and consumer discretionary strength. So it's not really necessarily been um, you know, a particular strength within the market or fundamentals as a whole or the economics or the macro. It's just been a case of they haven't got, as Nathan said, the IT specialisms or those large companies that make up a vast majority of um, the top end of indices. They don't have those IT and consumer discretionary names in there. So on a year-to-day basis, that leaves Europe down 7% versus Acqui, which is up 1%. But this is going to be taken in the context of that 1% positive Acqui is mainly boosted by 5% of the US, which makes up the vast majority of their indices, um, and to a lesser degree, Asia, which is up 3%. Europe's outperformed the other regions aside from that over that time period. Um, it's also It's been slightly benefited by a stronger euro, but that's beside that point there. Um, Nathan, I think you wanted to add something there. Yeah, so I think it's worth mentioning that, you know, even though areas like the UK and Europe are quite depressed at the moment, and, you know, for obvious reasons. Uh, so if we think about the sector makeup of Europe, lots of financials. If we think about the UK, you've got mining, oil stocks. You know, there is the potential for these regions to rebound swiftly. Uh, and I think particularly if you do get a vaccine, you will see share prices normalize quite quickly. So there is, you know, an opportunity from a, a value perspective or valuation perspective uh, for looking at the, these regions as we get closer to that outcome. Um, yeah, I think I've validated Nathan's point. Um, the, the thing that always normalizes my view is that the market at the minute is around 17 times on the next 12 month basis. There's not that many sectors or factors which are um, looking cheap. So most things are on 13 to 14 times again over the next 12 months. And that's in the context of um, earnings this year down 34% and the expectations of earnings next year up 38%. So it gets us to a, a point where earnings are roughly the same, but we've got um, we've got valuations that are significantly higher than they were this year or, or a few years ago, especially. I'd like to bring Jen in here. And Jen, the, the UK has a very specific issue weighing on its performance. Yes. Um, so lack of progress on Brexit is back to worry investors, which in turn is hurting domestic companies in particular. But also the UK was late to lockdown and subsequently slow to lift restrictions. And then as Nathan alluded to, the makeup of the FTSE is very important, which helps to explain why the UK has been the laggard. I think Nathan alluded to this, but Jen, could you just remind us of why this is? Yes, the FTSE only has 1% in tech, but hefty exposure to both oil and gas and banks, which have been the two worst performers year to date, even worse than travel and leisure. So oil and gas has been hit by the slump in demand for energy, but it's actually more than that. Investors are now concerned for the future about how the likes of BP and Shell are going to transition into greener companies. And how have the banks in particular been impacted? Unlike last time around, banks have actually come to this crisis well capitalised, but have been asked not to pay a dividend this year. 
And then, of course, we don't know how unemployment and struggling businesses will hit their loan books. So fundamental uncertainty very much coming to bear on the UK market. If we want fairly spectacular performance, we should look no further than China. Asim, in your view, is this in line with the fundamental backdrop? Yes, so China has arguably been the standout major equity market in terms of performance, particularly over the last couple of months. And that is broadly reflective of the macro picture, since it was the first major economy to bounce back. And there has been an early sharp V-shaped recovery with the supply side of the economy back to normal levels. But I do think the extent of the equity market rally we've seen in China isn't fully reflective of the wider backdrop, given that economic recovery remains fairly uneven in places with the consumer side of the economy still not fully catching up with manufacturing. There are a number of factors at play driving the equity market rally, namely the injection of liquidity into the market that policymakers have provided, the encouragement that the state media have been providing to Chinese citizens that buying equities is positive, and the high concentration of technology stocks in the index that have fared well during the COVID crisis. Then would you say the response to bad news stories, such as President Trump's intervention on TikTok, has been logical? Yeah, so there's been a significant recent news flow with, as you mentioned, Trump issuing an executive order banning US companies from dealing with Chinese tech apps, TikTok and WeChat within 45 days. And as you mentioned, the largest Chinese tech stocks have reacted pretty poorly to the announcement. I'd say the market reaction hasn't necessarily been logical when you consider that some of the largest Chinese internet names that weren't even named in the announcement, such as Alibaba and JD.com, sold off materially, along with the companies that were named. I think recent movements reflect the fact that the share prices of these mega cap tech names have risen substantially over recent months. So any direct or indirect risk factor provides opportunity for profit taking. Indeed. Now let's return to our fundamentals and indeed the bond markets. Where are we seeing the most appropriate response to global economic prospects? Is it in the government bond markets, Mayank? Um, I think it's difficult to difficult to say. I mean, in terms of, you know, if you look at the performance of, of the government bond markets, um, they've obviously done quite well on the on a year-to-date basis, and, and this is across the board. And, um, you know, in fact, yields have come down to uh, historic lows. Uh, but that's not necessarily only due to due to the COVID crisis and the economic crisis at hand. Um, That's also because of some of the central bank action explicitly, firstly, in terms of cutting interest rates uh, across the developed and emerging markets, but also indicating uh, for the next foreseeable future and even for the next two to three years uh, to keep um, base rates at at close to zero. As a result, the market is pricing in um, very low expectations of interest rates rising, which is causing uh, yields to remain low. Partly it is because of the slow economic growth, but partly it's also because of the central bank action and and, um, the indication for keeping rates low for for, for a very long time. Thank you for that. And how about the credit markets now? What What are they telling us? Um, Similar to other asset classes, corporate bond markets have rallied strongly since the lows experienced in March. In March, US and European corporate spreads reached levels haven't seen since the great financial crisis, as credit markets priced in not only an economic shock, but also a pronounced deterioration in market liquidity. But since then, investor optimism on a recovery and coordinated central bank action have really produced a strong rally in global credit markets. It seems sentiment and technicals are outweighing credit fundamentals, which have deteriorated during the COVID crisis. And the high yield sector? Yeah, the high yield market had lagged investment grade in the earlier stages of the rally, but has begun to catch up more recently. Downgrades from investment grade to high yield have slowed over May, June and July. During March and April, we've seen a sharp rise as trading agencies responded aggressively. 
um, to, to the COVID crisis. But undoubtedly, the Fed's purchasing program has helped to calm some market tensions. But looking under the hood of the US market in particular, there is a preference for quality. So you're seeing double Bs outperforming the lower rated um, names in, in single B and triple Cs. And we believe investors need to be selective in the strategies they employ in the high yield space. Sounds very wise. And some thoughts there from you, Sheldon? Yes, uh, no, I mentioned that the, the government buying program. So my thoughts really just uh, on the side of caution again is the massive issuance that we've been seeing from governments around the world uh, you know, to, to provide the liquidity that's, um, that's being provided. Is there a supply side response uh, that, that's being ignored by buyers at the moment? Are we, are we forgetting about this massive wave of supply that's coming and could that uh, push uh, push prices, you know, could that create a headwind for bond prices going forward? Yes, yeah, certainly something to watch there. Back to you, Mayank. One of the notable laggards of recent weeks has been the US dollar. Is this a correct expression of fundamentals? Um, partly. I mean, again, you know, similar similar to similar to interest rates, the US dollar going into the crisis and, and, and through the crisis was actually one of the best performing currencies. So it performed, uh, you know, performed strongly relative to all the other G10 G10 economies. However, what we're seeing now is that, um, you know, in terms of COVID response and in terms of, you know, what's happening on the more general economic front, uh, US is US is slightly lagging uh, some of the other economies in, in Europe and emerging markets. So the growth differential or the positive growth differential that was present between uh, the US economy and the rest of the world is narrowing. And hence, uh, you know, that is Im- influencing um, uh, the US dollar and causing it to weaken. More recently, um, you know, there's also been um, some, some sort of tensions and, and, and disagreements in terms of, uh, you know, what action to take on the fiscal front um, in terms of agreement between Democrats and Republicans. And I think that short-term sentiment is also uh, is also weighing up on, on on the U.S. dollar. So, I think in terms of the weakness of the U.S. dollar, it's very much a it's very much a U.S. Uh, U.S. story, and uh, yeah, it's it's related in it's it's due to a combination of the narrowing of the of, of the growth differential and then some uh, political uncertainty. Uh, yes, quite. But that weaker dollar has itself had a knock-on effect for some commodity prices. Yeah, so commodities are priced in, in dollar terms. Um, so that means that when the US dollar weakens, uh, the prices of commodities go up. And, and we've seen that uh, occur for, for uh, commodities in general, but for gold in particular. Um, but for gold, uh, just talking about gold, um, you know, it's not just been a US dollar story. Um, as as the dollar was strengthening, you know, prior to the recent weakness, uh, we we saw gold uh, continue to do well. Um, so gold done well mainly because of the negative real rates um, that have been occurring throughout the world. And what that means is that the opportunity cost of holding gold, uh, which is which is largely seen as a risk off asset and a hedge, um, you know, goes down. So from that perspective, gold becomes more attract- attractive, especially relative to bonds. Um, the other reason it could be is is that investors uh, are concerned about inflation risk, perhaps not in the short term, but because of the you know because of the trillions of dollars of liquidity which has been pumped into the system, inflation could be a potential problem down the line. So again, the U.S. dollar has acted as a tailwind to commodity prices, but it's not it's not the only reason for for the strength in commodities. So Sheldon, could I ask you then to summarise our discussion today? Well- Clearly, we've we've had some very big moves in the markets. Uh, different asset classes reacting differently, but 
when when you come down to it and, and look at each asset class independently, it seems like we can find uh, reasons why the, the prices are reflecting fundamentals. The fact that uh, some of them aren't consistent with each other, I think, just reflects the, the uncertainty that markets are trying to come to terms with. Volatility, I think, is here to stay until we uh, move out of this uh, the, you know, the pandemic period with all the uncertainty it brings. There's all those risks we mentioned earlier that, are, you know, aside from the pandemic, the, the election cycle, uh, we've mentioned Brexit, uh, we've got the US-China trade uh, tensions uh, rising again. So you've got all this uncertainty and, and in that environment, it is natural, I guess, for, for investors really to look for different areas and you know, from time to time to move their focus onto to different markets or different asset classes. In that environment of uncertainty, I guess uh, the best advice is the, the old favorite, which is stay diversified and uh, stay the course. Hold your positions, hold your nerve and uh, invest for the long term. Thank you all very much indeed. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Lorna.